Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening. Round and round we go, back again for some Hump Day Blogorama. Weekly show where I talk about some cool stuff I spotted on RPG blogs, yap about them at length here on the podcast, and then I put up all the links for you. Over at the Thought Eater blog, just Google Thought Eater blog or go to frothsofdnd.blogspot.com and just go ahead and slap that sucker on your blog roll. Just go ahead and do it. Get it over with. What is going on? Well, over the weekend, I dropped a new Sunday zine club. If you haven't checked it out, had an interview with Grognardia blogger. James Malashevsky, creator of the Empire of the Petal Throne zine, the excellent traveling volume. It's a good conversation. Also, a bunch of free stuff, zine quest stuff. So if you haven't checked that out, be sure and do so. And uh, if you're enjoying that show, help spread the word. Brand new show. Trying to uh, reach as many people as I can. So if you're into RPG zines or you know somebody that is, let them know about it. Uh, And let's see. Got some call-ins we're going to get to, Uh, but first, whenever I notice a new blogger, I like to go ahead and mention them right here at the top of the show. So under the intro tab, you will find a link to the Third Eye Openers blog, Third Eye Openers, the yaldabaothofficial.blogspot.com blog, and this is uh, by yaldabaothofficial, hope I'm pronouncing that right. They've got one post up so far, and this is a gray class that would fit in with Carcosa. And uh, this first post has got a Google Drive link to a PDF, so starting, you know, kicking it off with a bang over at the Third Eye Openers blog. So welcome to the blogosphere. Great to see new bloggers. I love it. Love it. Got a, let's start with a wholesome call-in. Uh, last week on 5-Minute Friday, I uh, was talking about a couple of cool dice apps I spotted with my cat. Uh, she had a lot to say about it. And, um, anyway, got a call and let's check it out. Hey, Froth, this is Jason here. Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Dice apps, interesting idea. Yet, you know, I want to rail at them and be an old man yelling at the sky. But, like you, I find that they definitely have a use. And they're, you know, useful if you're out traveling or you're out and about and want to do solo games or something like that. I've definitely used them. Maybe taking a break at work and sitting there where I can't pull the dice out. I do have a set of dice in my pocket but if i don't want to like pull the dice out and roll them at work and you know on a break or eat lunch or something and i'm trying to do something especially like an online game or sitting there messing around and and just want to you know roll a set of dice then i find that the um online dice rolls are really handy for that so i'm all for that the other comment about dice need to be easy to read that's the biggest thing i look for when i buy dice anymore can I easily read it? Especially as I get older, my eyes get worse. So, talk to you later. That one last thing. I've never seen the appeal to the metal dice. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I don't. I don't know. I I want dice that roll normally and roll easily and work well with the like you say the dice tower. I I need to get one of those dice towers like you have. Mine is mine's a wooden one. It's got cloth in there. It kind of keeps it quiet when you roll and you can't see them roll down. So I need to get one that gives me the candy machine effect, the bubblegum machine effect kind of thing. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I just, 
don't see the appeal of the metal dice. My son has a set and likes them, but I, I buy dice. I buy these bags of dice, or like I say, I'll intentionally buy ones with white lettering on, you know, with where I can read the lettering. So, anyhow, talk to you later. Jason there from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Always awesome to hear from you, Jason. Thank you very much for calling in. And I was thinking, too, maybe another use for uh, these phone dice apps it would be in the car. You know, you can't really roll dice very well in the car. Um, and, you know, I, 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 like many others, probably pretty much have basic D&D memorized. So on a long car trip, just give that to my, give the phone to my daughter, run her through her just a little adventure. Kill the time. Beats, uh, you know, playing the license plate game or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so... Um, as far as metal dice and stuff like that, I think, I think when people are just getting to gaming sometimes they, they don't make decisions based on practicality or they, they don't really know what to expect. And so things like that can be really appealing when, uh, and then you take them home and you find out you can't read them and they're basically deadly weapons, you know, especially that metallic D4, that thing's gotta be, you know, illegal in 12 countries. But when I got back into gaming, the first uh, set of dice that I bought myself was like this clear set that I thought was really cool. But then come to find out, it's hard to read. Extremely hard to read, so. You know. But sometimes you're not thinking about stuff like that. Maybe that had something to do with it. I'm sure they thought it was super cool. And then, you know, a few weeks of, of, of squinting at it and trying to read it, they uh, they realized it wasn't that cool. Wasn't that cool. <laughs> So anyway, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, next, I got a call in uh, regarding this whole Judges Guild hubbub I was talking about last week. Uh, if you haven't heard about this, unfortunately, the son of the Judges Guild founder, Bob Bledsaw, uh, turned out to be, you know, racist, misogynistic, um, uh, embarrassment to the family name, really. And uh, there's been a lot of fallout about that. Also, talking about Scott Malthouse's new game, Romance of the Perilous Land, and how, uh, you know, the Vikings, you know, the Vikings were in an uproar over there being a black person on the cover. So, you know, the Vikings uh, were going to storm the village or whatever. So, I got to call in about that. Hey, Froth, it's Andy Goodman from Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. Must remember not to say expedition to the barrier peaks. I keep, I've been saying that recently. That's the that's the problem with doing a stupid pun for your podcast title. Um, let's say I um, I I got that off. Spent you know Spencer infected me with his with his punnery. Um, so I've been listening actually to your to your podcast for a while now and um i just love the bits you do with your kids and I, i've been doing stuff with my kids but um your segment on judges guild really touched me and um i don't know if you know but i i just put up an episode um purely about that and and how it's you know what it meant to me personally this whole episode um but yeah i think i, I think Together, I, I think we're very aligned, of course, as any right-thinking person should be. And I think you hit on something that, that I didn't specifically call out, but of course it's it's so vivid and so, you know, it's there. The, the, these people saying, keep politics out of my games. Keep politics out of my games. It That is the last refuge of the scoundrel and the coward 
Politics is in everything. We cannot avoid it. It is when human beings interact with each other, there are politics, whether we want it or not. And pretending that it's not there is, is cowardly, is weaselly, and is a way of, of masking your own um, often horrible ideas. Um, and you see it all the time on these Facebook responses. Um, and and my, my response to them is to say, this is more important than our silly games about pretend elves. And it is. And at the same time, it isn't. <laughs> because our pretend games um, of pretend elves, or are they real games? But anyway, <laughs> those are the things that we experience every day. And it's how we, it's how we engage with, with, with all kinds of people. And in, in some ways, it's actually a way of bridging our politics. I've talked about this before. But, um, but yeah, to say, keep politics out of my games is like saying, let's just stop thinking about anything. Let's just switch our brains off and swallow whatever is being fed down our throats. So good on you, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. That was Andy there from the Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks podcast, and I appreciated you calling in. You know, this whole thing a little bit reminds me of this Chris Rock comedy show I saw one time where he was talking about somebody came to him and was like, oh, I'm a great dad. You know, I put food on the table. I, I, I buy the kid clothes. I'm a great dad. And Chris Rock was like, what, do you want a medal? That's what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? That's what you're supposed to do. You don't get a medal for that. that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, a little of this is it, it's like that, you know? I mean, aren't we supposed to oppose racism and bigotry? Seems a pretty low bar. I mean, but at the same time, well, let me put it this way. I like politically incorrect comedy. I like satire. I like gross-out comedy. I was basically weaned on Mel Brooks, you know. And I've made comments before where movies like Blazing Saddles, you know, probably couldn't come out today. Certainly wouldn't be blockbuster hits, and not in my opinion. And uh, for people that don't maybe live in the United States, you might not be aware of this kind of puritanical kind of underpinning that everything has this, and it's kind of like a resurgence of this kind of almost prudish puritanism that, um, that I don't really have much of a tolerance for. Right. But insidiously it's, you know, that stance is being co-opted by folks and stretched into a blanket of of other sorts of commentary like um like that I was even seeing on blog posts you know commenting on this that that it's it's virtue signaling quote unquote uh you know to make some kind of comment about this that you know people can't really be seriously against this it's all virtual virtue signaling and these are the same people that will say putting a black person on the cover or something is virtue signaling or having a gay person on the cover or whatever else. Now, 
the other disturbing thing, or many of, of one of many disturbing things, is that you know not everybody, but there does seem to be a little bit of apprehension, a little reticence to to make any kind of comment about this. Uh, even last week on some of the posts, there was talk about you know online mobs and backlash, and I'm thinking what backlash for not being racist. You know, it used to be that if you had a controversial opinion, you know, you're the one maybe afraid to share that. But uh, now we got, uh, you know, Bob Jr., you know, proud as a little peacock posting this crap on Facebook. And other people with no fear and no shame, you know, calling it virtue signaling when you don't want to work with some bigot. And... Uh, you know, is the scene so toxic that people are afraid to to say that they're not racist? I mean, because cause damn, I thought I was cynical. Thought I was cynical. But yeah. Um, anyway, I've got some, uh, some more links. I got a a review of Romance of the Perilous Land. Looks like a lot of people are paying, you know, this thing is backfiring on the Vikings. Whoopsie-daisy, you know. The, the the Vikings, you know, failed in their, their raid here as uh, more people have been checking out the game, Romance of the Perilous Land. Got a review up from the Tabletop Almanac. And then uh, a little bit more about, um, about this Judges Guild stuff. James Mishler over the Adventures in Gaming blog. Uh, put up a post about how they hung out with Bob Sr., you know, the person that did the actual work, you know, did was doing the work when, when Bob Jr. was kind of just a little, you know, whatever, racist, racist baby. And so, I don't know <laughs> what do you want to call him. You know, he just inherited all this stuff. He didn't do any of this stuff. This is all other people. And they're talking about how uh, Bob Sr., you know, it was nothing like this. And, um, and so it kind of raises the question, like, you know, how bad is, is this tainted? You know, obviously you don't want any money to go to Bob Jr. But it's not like I'm tossing out the Judges Guild stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's cool stuff that, that Bob Jr. had nothing to do with. Nothing to do with. Um, and uh, there, as far as Talking about how toxic the scene is, uh, Martin Ralia at martinralia.com put up a post, Bigotry from Judges Guild and the Endless Treadmill of Bad Actors in the Old School RPG Hobby. And you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there that aren't bigoted uh, don't like to hear it. You either don't like to hear it or you just kind of acknowledge it and, and, and want to do something about it. But, you know, it does seem like it's every other day. There's some, <laughs> there's some OSR person, um, showing their ass and, uh, and just, um, you know, embarrassing and ashaming, uh, themselves and others. And 
it's enough to turn a lot of people off and it's enough to really have, you know, right or wrong. People kind of prejudge you a little bit because there's so much of this crap, you know, you know, I, that's one of the reasons why it's important to let people know where you stand because I get wanting your games to be escapism. I get wanting to escape from life and play games. I get it. But you should want, if that's what you want, you should want that for other people too. Because a lot of people can't escape this, you know. They get this crap all day long, you know, from people. So if that's what you want, it to be escapism, a safe place to just escape from life and, and have no judgments and, and to feel good with other people, you should want that for other people too, you know. Make that something you, you want to stand for. Final thing I got on this, uh, Goodman Games came out with a little video that I've got embedded. And this was something I talked about last week because I knew that down the line they were planning on doing a, a, another large book with Janelle Jacquet's stuff in it. I've, all, I've called her Jacquet's, uh, seen the video. I learned, much like Nate Tremay, I learned how to pronounce her name, Janelle Jacquet's. Janelle is perhaps, you know, arguably the most gifted module designer in the history of, of role-playing games. Um, and also has a story that would be of great inspiration and import to a lot of people. Um, and... So the whole thing made me think about what a, what a damn shame this racist, no talent, um, no skill, uh, this racist, you know, inheritor of all this great stuff, uh, would, would be able to derail this because as much as I love Janelle Jacquet's stuff, I'm not going to put any money in the, in, and, uh, and racist Bob's pockets you know so they came out with a video and the long and short of it is they're going ahead with the kickstarter they're going ahead with it and that the money they were paying for the licensing because this is all janelle jacquay's work again just to be clear bob bledsaw jr did no work i think there was an instance where they made a, a terrible drawing that they kind of you know dad pity put you know pitied and put it in the put it in one of the books or something but that's the extent of it. This is all Janelle Jekwe's work. But presumably they still own the IP. And so they have to pay a licensing fee, you know, to, to do it. And apparently Bob Jr. has agreed to have what would be their licensing fee uh, go to some charities, you know. So... As this draws closer, if I'm, you know, if, if it becomes apparent that it is the truth, it is the actual case that, uh, that whatever money was going to go to old racist Bob, uh, is going to actually go to charities. I'll back it because I want to support Janelle Jacquez. Again, one of the most talented designers, if not the most talented designers of modules of all time, but it doesn't matter if she's Mother Teresa or whatever else, if, if a thin dime's going to, uh, 
to Bob. Bob Jr. can't do it. Now, some people have said that this kind of perpetuates Judges Guild, that it's not enough or whatever. You have to make your own choice about that. What's more valuable? Janelle Jacques, her story, her work, uh, what she could represent to people, and uh, and it has Judges Guild written on it. So it doesn't say Bob Bloodsaw Jr. on it. You know, the, the, this old Judges Guild stuff, it's still great today. It's still great. It just ain't great to, to give this guy any money. So... I don't know. You'll have to make your own choice about that. Uh, I've seen people with with uh, looking at it from, you know, different angles. I think if he does not make any money on it, um, I think if the message, you know, within the product is one of acceptance of others, um, I think it could be something positive you know, from this, uh, from the situation. So anyway, I know that's a lot under the intro. Let's move on. I love Star Wars D6. Love it. Let's say it again. I love Star Wars D6. Love it. Love it. And I saw this post this week over at Rolling Box Cars, rollingboxcars.com, Daniel Stack, writing about their love of, of the Star Wars West End game version and talking a little bit about it, talking about, you know, things to look out for, like the Chewbacca strength, you know. <laughs> and uh, it got me thinking, well, why not do a whole little segment, share some Star Wars D6 stuff. So I've got this post. Now, one of the things that I did not enjoy about the game, one of the few things, was some of the ways that it handles damage and everything, especially when somebody loses a turn, you know, because you might as well just be dead at that point, you know, and different versions of handle it different ways. One great, I, I don't know if I, I guess you can call it a house rule document, but it's, it's really more a collection of different rules from, you know, Kind of the best parts from the different editions, and with a little little house rules on top of it. But Jez Gordon, if you're not familiar with Jez Gordon, they're working on what's going to be an amazing, amazing game. Feral, the Feral RPG. I've got a link over for that uh, for 5e. And Jez Gordon's done artwork on just uh, tons and tons of stuff. Artwork layout, super talented, super talented. And I asked Jez if, for permission to put up uh, Jez Wars, the Star Wars D6 Rules Essential document that they've created for their home games, their, their Star Wars D6 games. And now this thing is still a work in progress. There's, a, there's some rules and everything. That, you know, It hasn't been 100% completed yet, but you take your favorite Star Wars D6 rule set and then take the Jez Wars document uh, that I've got to link up. And uh, you can really perfect the game, I think. You really end up perfecting the game. So I've got that up. Also be sure and check out their feralrpg.com site and get your mouth watered for that because, oh my God, this thing is going to be... This thing is going to be wild. Wild. 
And then I also put up a link to the D6 Holocron site, d6holocron.com. Tons of free downloads. You can find all kinds of D6 stuff there, rules, old stuff, new stuff. d6holocron.com, people keeping the game alive. Um, and then finally, <clears throat> I put it up a couple weeks ago, but <clears throat> over at Hish Graphics, Hisham's um, Star Wars GM screen. Now, a few of these things don't necessarily match exactly with, with Jazz Wars, but a lot of it is close enough to where this is just a great GM screen to have. You mix this together with the Jazz Wars, and you go over to d6holocron.com, take some of the tips from uh, rollingboxcars.com, and voila! Maybe you too will fall in love with Star Wars D6 um, like I have. Love it, love it, love it. The map segment of Hump Day Blogorama is proudly brought to you by Frank Turfler, legendary anchorite of Frank T's Liner Notes. I've been backing Frank T's Patreon for a while. High quality, full color, world class battle maps, sci-fi, fantasy, and otherwise. Innovative print and paste terrain that brings your table to life. Multiple support tiers, including a commercial tier, which will allow you to use Frank T's creations in your own commercial projects. You can sample some of the quality of the work by looking for Frank's Free Map Friday posts. So whether you are a creator that is looking for some cartography for a new project, whether you are a GM gaming online or in person at the table, or you're just like Froth, a map junkie, and you can't get enough of this stuff, go right now to patreon.com forward slash Frank T and check it out. All right. Thanks as always to Frank Turfer from Frank T's liner notes, patreon.com forward slash Frank T for sponsoring the map segment. Got some real doozies for you this week. I saw one over at cartographers guild from new horizon from new horizons. Uh, Rafal Zetwarniki. And I've put up a link to their Patreon as well. Stonehill Keep. Oh, man. I love this one. This is a great one you can port right into a game. Talent. And they're posting this is for the the light challenge. Like it's, uh, this is somehow, you know, just light. L-I-T-E, you know. And I'm thinking, whoa, if this is light, I hate to see heavy. But Stonehill Keep's like a great dungeon map. Um. Ruined keep type deal, full color, fantastic. Love the colors and everything on this one. So check that out. And go check out their Patreon as well. Over at False Machine, Patrick Stewart's blog, falsemachine.blogspot.com. You know, they did a great adventure years ago now with Scrap Princess, famed adventure, Deep Carbon Observatory. And now they're adding in some maps from Dirk Lighty but I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. You'll recognize their work from Silent Titans. Very distinctive artistic style. And it's got some images of these different maps that Dirk did for Deep Carbon Observatory. And they're talking a little bit about how they're trying to decide how to label it and everything like that. I put up one of the images. They got really high-res images that you can check out. And if you are, you're like me, you already own... Uh, Deep Carbon Observatory, you can add this map, you know, and to, you know, use this map with it. Fantastic. So check that out. Uh, really cool. 
Really cool. What else do I have? Yeah, they're like isometric style. So check it out. Um, Grow Dog, Alan Grow, over at the From Kuroth's Quill blog, growdog.blogspot.com. I wanted to feature a couple of these because I love seeing people's actual game maps. And Grow Dog's got some really cool ones in their Greyhawk game. These awesome hex maps that they've done, you know, hand hand drawn and hand colored. And I, I love these. I love real artifacts from gaming. And these are just great looking. So I put up one of those. You can go over and see a little bit about how their, their Greyhawk campaign's going. Renovating the Monastery. Recasting the classic DMG dungeon in Greyhawk. Part 1. Great, great, great maps. Speaking of great maps, I've talked about how Delta over at Delta's D&D Hotspot has been doing a series called Subterrain Surveys, looking back at some of the most famous dungeons of all time and, and analyzing them and, and whatnot. And this is at Delta's dnd.blogspot.com. Subterrain Surveys, Caves of Chaos. Is there a more iconic map than the Caves of Chaos? I don't know. It's hard for me to think of one. Maybe the Moat House and Homlet? No, I'd give the edge to the Caves of Chaos. Maybe the most iconic map in the history of D&D. And they're analyzing uh, the stocking, the design, monsters, and all that. So, cool series going on over at Delta's D&D Hotspot. So, yeah, great looking maps this week. Lots of interesting stuff. Be sure and check it out. And thanks again to Frank T. A few reviews and retrospectives to talk about, starting at nonzerosumgames.com. Patrick over there is reviewing First Adventure by Leonardo Benucci. Now this is for 5e. And what, what grabbed me about this, one of the reasons I want to mention it, the cover is obviously taken straight from, from the movie The Goonies, which I love The Goonies. Love The Goonies. When, uh, when it came out, me and my brother, we hit out in the movie theater and watched it twice in a row. Absolutely love the Goonies. And so the artwork and design on this one looks great. You're like child adventurers, and uh, it's got a lot of images on this, and it's just fantastic art. I love the uh, the premise and everything. So if you're into 5e, this first adventure looks like a really nice third-party adventure to check out. That's over at nonzerosumgames.com. Over at the Hapless Henchman, Noah over here is looking at the Ruined Tower of Xenopus, as well as the Rick and Morty box set. And so I hadn't seen a lot of people talking about or reviewing the Rick and Morty box set. And this one goes into some detail about it. So anyway, uh, thought y'all might want to check that out. If you're curious about those products, that's at noahms456.blogspot.com, the hapless henchman blog. At What Do I Know, Knight Errant Jr.'s Games and Geekdom blog, knighterrantjr.blogspot.com. They've got a review of a product I saw was one of the top sellers on the 5e DMs Guild currently. From Runehammer, producers of the Index Card RPG, which I know a lot of Anchorites and other people are big fans of. 5e Hardcore Mode. So, it's a 23-page PDF um, all about Turn your 5e game a little bit more hardcore. So if you find 5e to be too easy, it kind of reminds me, uh, this product reminds me a little bit about what 4th Core was doing for, uh, for 4e. And I really liked 4th Core. It was really cool. Um, 
But anyway, 5e Hardcore Mode from Runehammer uh, over at knighterrantjr.blogspot.com. Take a look at that if you're into 5e and want to try a little bit different flavor of it. Bryce Lynch over at 10footpole.org does a ton of reviews. They're reviewing Mike's Dungeons from Jeffrey McKinney that I've mentioned a few times. This is available on drive-thru. It's a 78-level mega dungeon, but it's really minimally keyed. It's... Uh, and it gets a mixed review. Um, Bryce doesn't like so much that... Uh, it says your experiences here are going to be related to your tolerance of minimally keying. They don't have any tolerance for it. There are mountains and mountains of random creature generators online these days to roll up your own dungeon. And uh, there's not really a theme. It's more a novelty. Eh, it's a novelty. It's, it's definitely a novelty. But it's a novelty that I'm fully intending to purchase. I like Jeffrey McKinney's stuff. I don't mind a minimally keyed thing. Sometimes you just want to throw something on the table and run with it. And sometimes by not having a ton to it, not having some deep storyline behind it and paragraphs of text and things to remember, you can just get to playing. And um, sometimes that's just what you want. And anyway, I like Jeffrey McKinney's stuff, so I like to support them anyway. But anyway, I thought uh, a review of this would give people some ideas what it's all about. So that's Mike's Dungeons getting reviewed over at the 10footpole.org. Finally, a really cool retrospective post from Wayne's Books, waynesbooks.games. Anytime you're looking for something really hard to find, old board game, war game, tabletop RPG, Something strange, esoteric, you don't think you're going to be able to find anywhere else? Always go by and check Wayne's books. You might find it there. They're talking about Omega War, the science fantasy adventure game from 1983. And now, this was a special feature, insert, strategic game for Ares Magazine. And it's got a link to a James Malashevsky post about that, that magazine issue. But this is a post-apocalyptic game, the Omega War. And it's got some really cool images of the, the maps and contents and stuff that I put up. And so it, it walks you through some of the reviews and talks a little bit about it. It's a great retrospective post. I love when Wayne does these because you really get a good idea of the contents uh, of what some of these things are. And most of the time it's stuff that I've actually never seen before. Or you maybe see a cover you don't get to see the innards. You know what I mean? So anyway, check out Omega War Science Fantasy Adventure Game from 1983 over at waynesbooks.games. All right, I've got the dice tower ready. Sweet, cleared acrylic faux wood panels. We're going to roll on some random tables. I'm starting over at Elf Maids and Octopi. Chris Tam did a post, D100, more empty room decor. So you've got empty rooms. They don't have to be completely boring. Sure, there's no treasure, there's no monsters, but there's something in there. D100 empty room decor. Let's look. Um, a pit full of maggots with flies around it for corpses and rubbish. Yeah, hey, go throw it in the maggot pit, Johnny. <laughs> there's no treasure, there's no monsters, but there is a maggot pit. We've all been there. Uh, let's see. There is a latrine. Very smelly. A plank with holes over a cistern, over the cistern pit. 
a stinking latrine. Maggot pit, latrine. See where I'm going with this. <laughs> now this is quality radio. <laughs> uh, and okay, and more maggots. Rotting food here, crawling with maggots and hundreds of huge flies. So yeah, we got maggots, so we got latrines. <laughs> this is must listen, must listen stuff. Check that out over <laughs> Health Maids and Octopi. Uh, okay, D100 Secret Weaknesses. This is from Nick L.S. Whelan's blog, Papers and Pencils. And the idea here is, they, in their game, they had their players wanted to learn if an evil wizard they were going to confront had any weaknesses to exploit. And it seemed the sort of thing that there ought to be a D100 table for. So these are some weaknesses, secret weaknesses. Maybe for a villain, villain of your campaign. Uh, their protections, powers, or abilities were granted to them because they performed a magic ritual. This ritual must be renewed on a regular schedule with exact timing. The window may be as long as a day or as brief as a few seconds, but if it's missed, they lose everything the ritual gave them. That's a good one. That's a really good one, actually. D100 of these. Secret weaknesses. Two. Gambler. They can't resist an interesting bet and may find themselves in frequent financial distress because of it. Another great weakness. Can't resist a bet. Like it. D100 Secret Weaknesses. That's over at paperspencils.com. Bunch of free stuff. Bunch of free stuff today, as always. Though it was ruining the hobby, I've got a bunch of free stuff for you. <clears throat> Starting at knightsinthenorth.com. They did a non-player sheet, like an NPC sheet, for DCC. It looks really helpful. It's got like four to a sheet. This would be a really good tracking tool to use if you're running DCC. That's at knightsinthenorth.com. They always do a bunch of good Dungeon Crawl Classic stuff. Check it out. Over at the Profane Ape blog, profaneape.wordpress.com, Profane Ape up there put up a post, the Grand Document Dump. And so this is a bunch of stuff from their campaign that includes what looks to be a whole playable game, Fornax fantasy game, as well as numerous classes and uh, all kind of in a familiar OSR-ish style. So the grand document dump from Profane Ape, a bunch of, bunch of interesting stuff to dive in over there. Martin O at the Goodberry Monthly blog, goodberrymonthly.blogspot.com, has a downloadable dungeon, the first dungeon of their wizard city setting, the Manticore, formerly known as St. Manti's Cathedral. A procedural generated high-risk wizard casino where one can and most certainly will bet anything and everything that can be bet, the Manticore. You can download that over at goodberrymonthly.blogspot.com. Owen Edwards. Over at the Haughty Fantasy Adventures blog, haughtyfantasy.blogspot.com has another adventure up. They had one last week. They've got another one you can download. Barrow of the Woad Chief. Check that out and download that for free over at haughtyfantasy.blogspot.com. I've been telling y'all about K Trey over at blog.d4caltrips.com doing all of these BX slash old school essentials, counter activities tables, working through the entire monster list. They told me that they're going to eventually compile these down the line, which would be such a great resource. Uh, but anyway, they put up a bunch more. I think I caught them all. Bugbears, dryads, centaurs, great cats, uh, 
carcass. The carcass crawler. Oh yeah, they can't call it a carrion crawler, huh? Uh, the chimera cockatrice. Anyway, I thought let's roll on one of these. Uh, you can download these all as free PDFs. You get a bonus roll here. What are the chimera up to? Um, they're devouring boiled griffin eggs. <laughs> so these are great. Love these. So there's a bunch more. I think I got all of the ones that came out this week, but how, how prolific is K tray? I mean, that's eight since, uh, I last did one of these. That's amazing. Amazing. So be sure and follow along with that. Really good, really good, uh, stuff. Uh, very helpful for running a BX OSC game or anything else. Over the Spouting Lore blog, spoutinglore.blogspot.com, Jeremy Strandberg up there has got their game, Defying Danger. It's a lightweight RPG in the vein of World of Dungeons. Defying Danger, the RPG. You can download that now at spoutinglore.blogspot.com. Over at Lester's Ramble, lestersramble.blogspot.com, I normally don't mess around, as is Vance A., uh, blogging over there. I normally won't mess around with uh, drive-through links. I want to try to keep it blog-related, but here I made an exception as they've uh, decided to make all of their six adventures. Uh, they went back through them, revised them to Swords and Wizardry as the Swords and Wizardry, Wizardry Kickstarter for the box set is still running, and they uploaded them for Pay What You Want. So uh, six adventures up for pay what you want for Swords and Wizardry from Vance A over at Lester's Ramble. Go check that out, lestersramble.blogspot.com. At Paul's game blog, 10 Dead Rats Rules Update. Uh, that's a catchy name, right? 10 Dead Rats. I mean, that thing. Look out, d and <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know what I mean? Uh, I love Paul's game blog. I'm just, just joking. It's just like such a name for a game, 10 Dead Rats. Anyway, download 10 Dead Rats now at Paul's game blog. Just a joke. Miscellaneous stuff to talk about. Uh, some sad news over at Dungeon Master Magazine, dmmagazine.blogspot.com. Uh, Kim Eastland has passed away. Kim Eastland, uh, TSR designer from the classic days, worked on Marvel Superheroes, Gamma World, Conan, Star Frontiers, wrote one of the uh, Mistara Gazetteers, uh, has passed away. So um, rest in peace to, to Kim Eastland. Thought that was nice to see a commemorative post over there at Dungeon Master Magazine. Over at the old school FRP Tumblr, they've got an image up of these old Evil monster adventure figures from AD&D, the troglodyte and goblin. And these things look just gloriously trashy. And they remind me, you know, they're not much better than the famed monster toys that Tim Kask and Gygax used to name, you know, to create such monsters as the rust monster and the boule. Uh, the troglodyte and goblin, they hadn't come that far. Glorious trash over at the old school FRP Tumblr. Over at the Xenopus Archives blog, xenopusarchives.blogspot.com, they put up their, their annual Holmes Day post, Holmes Day 2020, where they look back at Holmes basic related highlights from the past year with a ton of links 
if you enjoy Holmes Basic, uh, that's some great stuff. You should check it out. Um, they they keep the game alive over there at the Zenipus Archives, and there's a lot of stuff to to uh, to delve into over there. Great collection of links for Holmes Day 2020. Here comes Kitty. What's up, Kitty? Wow. Say hello. Say hello. Yeah. Come on now, give him something. No. Chicago Wiz, Legendary Anchorite from the Dungeon Masters Handbook Podcast, Three Hexes Zine, as well as the Chicago Wiz Games blog, chgowiz-games.blogspot.com. You may recall me featuring their work on a moat house model for GaryCon, famed moat house from Village of Homlet. They have completed it, and it looks fantastic. Looks absolutely amazing. Got a photo up, but there's a bunch more over at the site, so go and check those out. If you're curious as to how this thing ended up, it ended up, it ended up awesome. Oh, I'd love to play in that game, even though I know where everything is. I know where that green slime's hiding. I ain't going down those stairs first. All right. Now, is it word miniatures or weird miniatures? Uh, I'm just going to stick with word. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. W-Y-R-D. They do uh, some miniatures games, role-playing games, and, and a bunch of other stuff. But anyway, I thought this was interesting. This is at TabletopGamingNews.com. Word Miniatures has announced delays in the release schedule. And this is due to the coronavirus. And if you were wondering when you would start to see the coronavirus uh, start to affect games, well, the answer is it's affecting it now. And we'll see how that continues to develop. Um, if you follow, you know, you follow the news on this thing, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, people have sadly passed from it. Uh, there's a lot of fear, um, a lot of people mobilizing, a lot of resources and money to try to to tackle it. Uh, but it's going to have a major economic impact uh, globally. There's just no way around it, and uh, it's starting to affect. Uh, role-playing games and uh, tabletop, you know, tabletop games. So, anyway, uh, it's not a lot of news over there at tabletopgamingnews.com about it, but I thought uh, it was still interesting. It's the first thing I had seen uh, making reference to it. That's from Polar Bear over there. Larry Hamilton from Follow Me and Die. Follow Me and Die. Larry, uh, legendary anchorite from the Follow Me and Die podcast. Follow Me and Die YouTube channel, followmeanddie.com. Put up a helpful post uh, along with an accompanying video. I've embedded the video in this post. You can check out how to stream with OBS Studio. And the thing I appreciate about this is it's, it's at frost level. You know, pretend I can't turn on a computer, you know. And so Larry... Talks about kind of the basics, what programs people are using to do streaming, uh, and 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 things to look at. And then what's really helpful too is they provide a bunch of links to other like videos going more in depth, and um, and software and and this that and the other. So great stuff from Larry. Um, you know because who knows? You no. Know, I mean, is it true that froth sometimes daydreams about? One day streaming a Moro Project game, you know, taking the internet world by storm, 
giving Critical Role a run for their money with with the Moro Project. Has Froth really fantasized about that before uh, while eating a sandwich at work? I'll never tell. I'll never tell. That's at followmeanddie.com. <laughs> at kqed.org, KQED News. Don't know how I ended up here, but very interesting article. Five Best Practices Teachers Can Learn from Dungeon Masters from Paul Darvasi. So things teachers can learn from DMs to become better teachers, such as designing for experience, an approach that aligns with constructivist learning theories that maintain that students learn better by doing rather than as passive recipients of information. Wrap it in a story. Stories shape our self-perception, help us organize knowledge, and make sense of a chaotic world. Wrap it in a story. Offer choice. Like classrooms, games operate with rules and constraints, but within those boundaries, they afford players interactivity and choice. Reward risk and normalize failure. That is a really important one for kids, to reward risk. You do not want people to shut down um, and stop trying. That is very important, to reward risk and normalize failure. And to provoke emotions. Games can produce memorable emotional moments within the safety of the magic circle of play. So I thought this was a really interesting article. Uh, Five best practices teachers can learn from Dungeon Masters. That's at kqed.org. Final miscellaneous thing, just a little leftover Valentine's Day flavor from boingboing.net. D&D character alignments as Valentine's Day conversation hearts. We've got the image up for these. You know these little heart candies. They'll say like, love you or something like that on them. Someone took them, uh, let's see, Michelle Rial took them and made a, uh, a D&D alignment chart out of it. I love those alignment chart memes, you know. Uh, so anyway, I won't spoil any of it. I've got the image up and a link. You can check it out. A Valentine's Day Conversation Heart D&D Character Alignment Chart. Alright, so for the final topic today, we're talking about sacred cows in D&D. Sacred cows. And I saw a couple of different blog posts that were talking about different sacred cows in D&D. You know, stuff integrated in the game, rules, concepts that they'll probably never get rid of. Sacred Cows. Uh, one post was over at the Remixes and Revelations blog, remixesandrevelations.com, Yami Bakura blogging over there. The other at the Chromatic Cauldron, Evelyn Moreau, chardronchromatique.blogspot.com. Different Sacred Cows getting talked about and totally different ways of dealing with them. So over at Remixes and Revelations, they're talking about Killing the Sacred Cow. Attribute scores. Now this is something that comes up a lot. In fact, when I was talking about unpopular D&D opinions, I did a little series a while back. I believe it was Pete Jones from the Dragons Are Real podcast. I want to say it was Pete Jones. Called in and said uh, they didn't see the point anymore with ability scores. And you, you hear other people mention that. Because right now, I mean, with 5e, you really could do away with the the attribute scores because uh, 
you know, they really just use the modifiers now. You know, you just say, I got a plus two in this, I got a minus one in this. I'm hesitant, hesitant to get rid of them because in my old school games, I like to do roll under for checks. I know it's not a perfect system, but it's easy. It keeps the game moving. The scores are right there. But um, they become less and less meaningful. We can agree on that. And also within this post, they talk about removing some of the attributes altogether. Um, they talk about... Um, oh, where does it say? The old intelligence or wisdom debate that has plagued the system nearly as, as long as alignment debates have. And I admit, you go back and you read some of that Gygax delineating, uh, you know, Gygax on hit points or delineating the difference between intelligence or wisdom. You can walk out of there, you know, what happened to Johnny? Uh, he just read some Gygax, you know. <laughs> He's been reading Gygax. He's going to be like that for a few hours. That's what I love about Gygax's writing, but uh, that can be the effect. Um, well, they talk about, uh, you know, dropping or changing them, as well as getting rid of social skills, such as diplomacy, intimidation, etc., which I've heard uh, other anchorites, various people talk about, including Rob C. Instead, it says, instead have the players just role-play their characters while they role-play the NPC. If they manage to convince you, acting as the PC, they pass. And this kind of thing. It's so kind of like, can you role-play somebody that's unintelligent? Uh, if you're not charismatic, if you're not intelligent, can you can you you know can you role play a a super genius when you aren't that sort of thing? Which for me, just to play devil's advocate, I like playing low intelligence characters if I roll them, and I think that uh, for things like charisma or you know diplomacy and these kind of things, I wouldn't want to just go on. I mean, obviously you got reaction tables involved, but I wouldn't want to just go on player performance either because I, I like to roll because there's always a chance that no matter what, what a great speech they give, that they accidentally, you know, break wind while they're talking. You know what I mean? And flavor it that way. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, but anyway, just some ideas. And most of these ideas... Uh, of, of dealing with these sacred cows over remix, remixes and revelations are by, by taking something out or completely changing it, right? So, uh, and there's no right or wrong way. I, I was just going to contrast that with what we get from Evelyn Monroe over at Le Chaudron Chromatique. She's talking about Vancean magic and world building. And so... You know, you want to talk about a sacred cow, Vancey and magic, you know, D&D &D has slowly morphed to, you know, to change it and um, kind of take some of the sting out of it. Uh, you know, the old days of, you know, starting with one spell. It's like, oh, spent my spell, Johnny. Let's go. <laughs> Who's this Johnny I keep talking about? But you know what I mean? Um and lots of people, you know, house ruling Vancey and magic is, is as old as the game itself. Um, so D&D &D has, has made it, you know, much easier to cast spells with cantrips and 
multiple spells at, at first level and uh, different caster builds that use spells in different ways to where it's not all the fire and forget style. But um, Evelyn takes the approach of taking the fancy and magic and really integrating it, you know, turning it up. You know, this one goes up to 11 from Spinal Tap. You know, turning the fancy and magic up to 11 and really integrating it into the, the world and the setting. So you have, you know, huge stone monuments uh, with uh, giant engraved runes uh, of spells written down. And, and people fear forgetting things. You know, magic is forgotten the seconds it's used. And so they're kind of obsessively recording things to have extra copies, books, engravings, tattoos. And uh, what's interesting about that is uh, just over the weekend, I saw a 5e product um, that uh, was one of my picks over the weekend. I do posts about uh, cool 5e stuff that's coming out. So much stuff comes through the DMs Guild. And someone had an idea of a background where you're a spell scribe tattoo artist and people will, uh, you know, do spell tattoos. And I was thinking about there could be whole schools like mage schools where they're all just covered in spell tattoos, you know, and, or a villain that, uh, you know, reveals themselves to be just completely covered in, in spell tattoos that act kind of like scrolls. Uh, and Evelyn takes it even further. Architects who build dungeons forget their mag magical architecture afterwards. So almost like the creation process of creating something magical causes you to forget it. Um, and there, there's kind of a strange beauty in that, uh, kind of, uh, coming amnesia, like an amnesia, uh, having amnesia after the, after magical creation. Uh, once you forge a magical blade, you forget how you crafted it. Uh, saying a magical being's true name erases it from your memory. And, uh, just, you know, interesting ideas like that, that can kind of take, you know, take something that people typically house rule or, or, or mutilate or want to get rid of and just uh, really embrace it and, you know, turn it up to 11 in your, in your setting. Uh, so, so two totally different approaches to sacred cows, uh, neither right or wrong. You know, one uh, talking about ability scores, you know, that's something that's not really player knowledge that's outside of the game, whereas fancy and magic is very much within the game. Uh, they under, people understand how, spells work, but I don't know, you know, even with the uh, ability scores, you know, you could have something where if you wanted to bring them into the game as being, um, character knowledge, you know, player character knowledge, you know, maybe, uh, there's some intelligence test on it that's graded on a score of one to 18 and you've got, uh, some kind of weird Gattaca thing, uh, genetic thing going on where there are certain elites that only want, uh, you know, 13s and above to, to survive or breed or something. I don't know. I mean, I've heard of worse campaign ideas, you know what I mean? So, so anyway, just got me thinking about, uh, sacred cows. Um, these things that, uh, that everybody house rules or complain about, or, um, tries to find a way to fit, you know, to make them work. And, uh, because, you know, no matter how many additions there are, you know, they're always going to be there. I really don't think, uh, I mean, obviously Vancey and magic is, is morphed and changed, but the principle is still there within the game. 
And uh, even though the game has turned more to just the ability bonuses being the only kind of meaningful number, that that 3 to 18 um, swing, I just don't see it go anywhere because uh, I think it's really important to Wizards, you know, for D&D to, to always be recognizable. You know, I think they got burnt, you know, with 4E, much as I liked it. You know, what's the most common thing you hear about 4E? Great miniatures game, but it's not really D&D, or that's not D&D. It wasn't like D&D enough. It wasn't, you know. So I think, uh, you know, they kind of retreated back uh, to the basics. They wanted it to be something recognizable no matter when you started playing. And, and these things like those six ability scores, uh, ability uh, attributes, the uh, the 3 to 18 ability scores, something approaching Vancey and Magic, um, you're not going to see wizards uh, get rid of those. You'll have to look to the next uh, uh, Hargraves and and everybody else for those kind of innovations or do them in your own game. Or look to the bloggers. Look to the bloggers like over at Remixes and Revelations and Les Chaudron Chromatique. All right, so that is the show for this week. Another one down. Another one bites the dust. Hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed putting it together for you. Thanks again, whoever you are out there for listening. Appreciate you checking out the show. You know you want to support the show? I know you do. You know how you can do it? Add me to your blog roll. Share it with others. Let other people know about it. Share it on social media. You can join my Patreon if you like. It's only a dollar a month. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. If you like all the material and stuff that I'm collating for you, the stuff I'm putting out, uh, it's only a dollar a month. You want to chip a dollar in the tip jar, I sure would appreciate it. And I'm very thankful to the folks backing me over there right now. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. I'd love to hear from you and put you on the show. You can message me using the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. There's a message button there. All you need is a microphone. Send me a message. You can comment about any of the stuff we talked about today. Let me know what you think. Comments, questions, polite criticisms. Nah, you could be mean if you really wanted to. Why would you want to, though? Uh, you can email me, frothsoftfrothsof at gmail.com. There's also a contact form on the blog if you're using the uh, desktop view. Remember, all of these, all of these links are over at the Thought Eater blog. Frothsoft, frothsofdnd.blogspot.com. I have reached out to somebody for an interview uh, for Sunday Zine Club, but I've not heard back from them as of this recording. Hopefully I will, but I don't want to mention who it is until I hear back. So hopefully I will hear back and, uh, and make that happen. But um, I uh, will be talking more about Zine Quest over the weekend, and I'm done. I back my final one. I hit my limit. I hit my money limit. Uh, well, there are a couple of people if they did if they did a zine, I'd have to back it. But I think I'm at my limit. So I'll give my final list of what I backed. Have some more free stuff and uh, hopefully an interview and some other stuff for you this weekend. Still thinking about what to do for Five Minute Friday, but I'm sure I'll think of something. In the meantime, I just hope you have a great rest of the week. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to folks for supporting me. And Logan, drop that funky beat. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. 
Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind.